This episode of Pod Cemetery is brought to you by Prank Monkey 69. The best prank videos anywhere on Liberty TV. Click Prank Monkey some likes and let's make this bitch go viral. Hello, my name is Chris. My name is Kelsey. And this is Pod Cemetery, where we dissect horror movies like the rotting corpses that they are. This week, it's horror movies with phone calls in them, with <laughs> 1997's Scream 2 and 2016's Don't Hang Up. But before we start the show, Kelsey, what do we do first? <laughs> we do Trivial Pursuit Horror Edition. That is correct. Why don't you uh, hit me with your best shot? Fire away! In the Hellraiser series from 1987 to 1992, in what world war was the former human self of Pinhead a British army captain? World War One. That's correct. Yeah. Nice. We actually get to see him without his makeup. Mm-hmm. Kelsey. Yeah. What word does protagonist Michelle find scratched into a second hatch when repairing a ventilator in 10 Cloverfield Lane? 2016. What word does she find scratched into a second hatch? Help? Yeah, you totally guessed that, but you're right! <laughs> it is, in fact, help. I mean, like, I remember the story. Do you remember that was her, like, final confirmation that something went bad in this place? Yeah. Uh -huh. You know, a really good movie. I like that movie a lot. It's on the list. Awesome. I'm glad. Mm -hmm. I was just thinking how much I can't wait to do Alien, actually. I think I paired them together. Alien and Prometheus? No. Or 10 Cloverfield Lane? 10 Cloverfield Lane. Wow, that's weird. <laughs> Alien and Prometheus. Then you can do Aliens and Alien, Alien Covenant. Covenant. Yep. All right. And those would, be the only, <laughs> those would be the only Alien movies worth doing, you know? Anyway, moving on. We're going to start. This episode off with Scream 2 from 1997. If you haven't already listened to our episode on Scream, go back and listen to that one. Scream 2 is once again written by Kevin Williamson and directed by Wes Craven, starring Nev Campbell, Courtney Cox, David Arquette, Liev Schreiber, Sarah Michelle Gellar, Joshua Jackson, Timothy Oliphant, Jerry O'Connell, Lori Metcalf, Rebecca Gayhart, Portia de Rossi, Heather Graham, Omar Epps, Jada Pinkett Smith, Jamie Kennedy, Tori Spelling, Luke Wilson, and David Warner. Kelsey, what is Scream 2 about? So, Sydney is now at college, trying to move on with her life, mm -hmm. but unfortunately, uh, someone has decided to uh, redo the killings of Woodsboro, and is coming after her again, and uh, she has to stop him again. Yeah, I thought I killed both of them in the last movie. Mm -hmm. Guess again, sweetheart. Should people watch it? Yeah, I like the second one. Do you like it better than the first one? No. No. 
right? Can you imagine a world where people liked Scream 2 better than Scream 1? But I still liked Scream 2. Yeah. No, I'm what I'm 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 hinting at something for later. <laughs> All right, you can take our advice or leave it, but when we get back, we will talk about 1997's Scream 2. Hello, Sydney. What do you want? It's time, girlfriend. Someone is taking their love of sequels one step too far. Hi, Gail Weathers, author of the Woodsboro Murders. Can't wait to see the movie. I'm not interrupting anything, am I? Tim. What's your favorite scary movie? Showgirls. Absolutely frightening. Kelsey, why don't you kick us off? How does Scream 2 begin? Omar Epps and Jada Pinkett Smith are going to see Stab, which is the movie version of the Woodsboro murders that was the story of the original Scream. And the Scream movies continue to get even more meta. (laughs) (laughs) And it's it's way over the top. It's this opening weekend. It's this special preview night of Stab. And um, just tons of people running around, costumes that they're giving out, and fake knives and whatever. You can't forget the famous Jada Pinkett Smith line, it's some dumbass white movie about some dumbass white girls getting their white asses cut the fuck up. Well, I'm going to tell you what it is, okay? What? It's a dumbass white movie about some dumbass white girls <laughs> getting their white asses cut the fuck up, okay? <laughs> she yes. gets the big line, the, you know, big-breasted women running upstairs and they should be running out. Th- she gets that line now. Yes, which is funny because in Stab... Heather Graham, who is playing Drew Barrymore, Barrymore runs up the stairs. Did you catch that? (laughs) The funny thing about this is that this whole time I'm watching this whole first sequence of them going to the movie and all I can think about is scary movie. Because I know the scary movie version of this better than I know this original version. Yeah, and uh, interestingly enough, some of the moments that happen in scary movie that, that are reflecting this one, they're not that much different. No, it's, than what's actually in Scream 2. Yeah. <laughs> They're just more exaggerated. And they have a punchline at the end. Yeah. But, like, otherwise, it's almost beat for a beat. Bitch, hang the phone up and start 69 his ass. Damn. No, 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 So they have a scream is notoriously meta, like I said earlier, uh, and this one is is no less so, maybe even more so, probably extra meta because of this movie within a movie setup, and then then characters can again even more so talk about horror movie tropes, and they talk about how black people are always the first to die, but then again in this movie a black person is the first to die if you don't yep. count Heather Graham, like two of them now. Well, no, all I'm saying is that the horror genre is historical for excluding the African American element. Remember how you get your PhD in black cinema. If you're going to say that the trope is bad, don't do the trope. That's like, unless, unless doing the trope in and of itself is some kind of commentary, which in the first one, it was all about subverting those tropes. So in this one, it's weird that they would just reinforce them. That's not, that's not good commentary. Well, 
it ends up being that the motive for killing these two particular people were their names, because their names were very similar to the first two people who died in Woodsboro. Yeah, Phil Stevens is Steve, the boyfriend from the beginning of Scream 1, and Maureen Evans, that's the mom who we never actually meet in the first screen, named Maureen. Sydney's mom. Yeah, Sydney's mom. Uh, interestingly, supposedly Robert Rodriguez directed Stab. <laughs> uh, even though you only see all of three scenes in the movie, but you do, so it's interesting that he did that. <laughs> But anyway, so yeah, they both end up dying there. So then we get to see that Sydney is at college and has a roommate and has a perfect boyfriend again and is really mm -hmm. happy. And people are still like pranking her about it. Like she still gets phone calls from people, but she now has caller ID so she can tell who called her this yeah, time. Yeah, one year later, by the way. <laughs> this is only one year later. Who is this? You tell me. Corey Gillis, 5550176. Hot flash, Corey. Crank calls are a criminal offense prosecuted under penal code 653M. Mm. Hope you enjoyed the movie. We find out that Liev Schreiber has been released, obviously, but like his name's been dragged through the mud and nobody likes him anymore. Cotton weary, so now he needs to do the circuit and. I mean, he was in prison, and they let him out, but I don't know how many people know this. The criminal justice system is kind of fucked up in the States when it comes to uh, getting somebody out who's innocent. And oftentimes what happens is they need to basically agree that they are guilty and that they won't sue in order to be released. Otherwise, they need to go through a whole new trial where they might still go to prison. You know, like, it's this whole thing where they have very limited options for recourse. It's just you should be lucky you're getting out kind of thing. And it's it fucking sucks. Uh, but, yeah, he doesn't have he doesn't have, he had that part of his life taken from him. Nobody's going to hire him. So he has to make he has to capitalize on what's making his life so miserable. Hmm. And that's what that's what he does. But he kind he kind of goes overboard on it. And he's going on all these shows to talk about his experience. And he did it originally in collaboration with Gail Weathers. Yeah. So it's this whole thing where now he's a celebrity for being the innocent guy that was put behind bars because of what Sydney said. Meanwhile, our favorite character, Jamie Kennedy, is in film class, and he and his fellow uh, film students are discussing whether or not art imitates life or life imitates art. <laughs> Jesus. And we have Joshua Jackson. Yes. I don't want to wait. <laughs> For lives to be over. And? And... Buffy. Sarah Michelle Geller, <laughs> and, and Timothy Oliphant. Timothy Oliphant. The motion picture debut of Timothy Oliphant. Also, really? yeah, also this is before Dawson's Creek. Like, this is before Go? Like right before Dawson's Creek. Yeah, Go was like 99 or something. Oh, you're right. Yeah. This was before... Dawson's Creek. Dawson's yes. Creek. Uh -huh. So Joshua like, Jackson Again, was not right before. Yeah, no, he was not a celebrity. This is before Urban Legends. This is before Urban Legends? Yes. Which, because she's in it, too. Yes. Uh -huh. <laughs> Rebecca Gayhart is in this one. Yeah. So there's a lot of crossover between this and Urban Legends. Kevin Williamson also did Dawson's Creek. 
So like he's very incestuous with this stuff. And oh, I should all probably also mention at this time, Nev Campbell is in Party of Five. And so she's filming them at the same time. She's basically working like 20 hour days doing both things at the same time. Well, it was a delight to watch. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it was just an explosion of late 90s teenage happiness. Anyway, so we discover that Timothy Oliphant is good friends with Randy and Sydney now. He's essentially like a, a stand-in for for Matthew Willard. Really? Yeah. I was thinking he was a stand-in for what's his face? Johnny Depp Jr. No. He's way too wacky like uh Matthew Willard was. Well, yeah, by the end of the movie, but you're supposed to see him as the brooding, handsome, sharp-eyed Skeet Ulrich. Skeet, 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 skeet. Yeah, I wonder if how he feels about the fact that he's he's has the same name as <laughs> fucking semen. Oh, skeet, skeet, motherfucker. Oh, skeet, skeet, goddamn. And then in the ed- edited version, oh, skeet, 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 skeet. <laughs> so in order to not say motherfucker... They just say semen more times. <laughs> I didn't know that's what that meant. Yeah. Ejaculate. Yeah. Okay. Good to know. I can't say skeet on the radio. I'm just going to start saying that on the show. Come on, steak, man. What's the f- if you can say skeet on the radio? I can't. Nobody, you know what's so dope about skeet? Why people don't know what it means yet? When they figure it out, they're going to be like, my God, what have we done? And so we learn that Randy still has a crush on Sydney, but it still doesn't matter because Sydney is now with Jerry O'Connell. Jerry O'Connell, who is like this amazing football star and is the good looking, sweet, perfect boyfriend. At the same time, Gail Weathers has lost the love of her life because she was very cruel about him in her book. And she really wants to capitalize again on the new murders. But now that she's been through it, she feels a little guilty about it. But that'll come up later. Yeah. So, Lambda, no, Omega, Beta, Zeta. Lambda, Zeta. Delta, Lambda, Zeta. Delta, Lambda, Zeta. No, that's Derek's house. They are Omega, Beta, Zeta. Okay. Omega, Beta, Zeta. The sorority really wants to get Sydney and Sydney's friend. What's her friend's name? Oh, fuck. See, I completely forgot about her. I completely forgot that she even existed. She has such, like, zero impact. Uh, Hallie? Haley? I don't know. Played by Elise Neal? Elise Neal, her friend really wants to join it. And these two girls are played by none other than Portia de Rossi. And Rebecca Gayhart. Yeah, and uh, if you don't know who Portia de Rossi is, she's uh, Ellen's wife. Ellen's wife, yeah. Uh-huh. And also, she's the sister from Arrested Development. Yes. So she's fantastic in this, as is Rebecca Gayhart. They're very funny. Buffy is a part of a different sorority that is at a that is at a fraternity party. She is staying home at the sorority house 
doing Sober Sister. So you want to say what happens to Buffy? Yeah, so Buffy gets all fucking cut up by Ghostface and ends up getting stabbed on her balcony and thrown three flights down. She actually did that stunt, by the way. Well, she's Buffy. Yeah, uh uh-huh. And so this causes- before Buffy? No, this is right after Buffy started. This causes a commotion and the party gets basically shut down and everyone comes pouring out to see the dead girl and the ambulance and the commotion- Across the street. Yeah. It's just a contrivance so everyone can get out of the original party house, which is when Nev Campbell gets a call. The phone rings. She decides to pick it up for whatever fucking reason. And it's the killer. Hello, Sydney. Remember me? And then he goes to attack her. Jerry O'Connell tries to save her, but we never see him and Ghostface at the same time. She ends up making it out the back door. And he's there, but Ghostface has stopped chasing her. And she's like, we got to get out of here. He's inside. And he's like, oh, he's inside. And so he runs in after him. Dewey shows up and she's like, ah, Dewey, he's inside. And Dewey runs in and uh, Jerry O'Connell is in there and he's been stabbed. But it's a superficial wound, which reflects poorly on him, as Randy points out later, because he's a med student. If anyone would know how to make a wound look bad but actually be superficial, it'd be a doctor or a med student. There's Derek, the obvious boyfriend. Hello, Billy Loomis. The guy's pre-med and his pity me surface wound conveniently missed every major vein and artery. So you think it's Derek? Not so fast. And nobody saw Ghostface get away. Ooh. So they go back to the police station and they're interviewing Jerry O'Connell and he's like, yeah, what the fuck? I didn't do it. Come on. Timothy Oliphant is already laying the groundwork for like, I don't know. Can you really trust him? And all of that. And it's really frustrating that when she talks to him, her boyfriend, he's not understanding of that. It's like, because what? I'm just going to, I'll just tell you now, I'll ruin the secret. Yeah. It's not him. No, it's not. And so, but the fact that he would not be understanding of the fact that in her past, her boyfriend tried to murder her after murdering her mother. Yeah. And her best friends. Like, why wouldn't he be more understanding of that? Because he's kind of a dick. You think Jerry O'Connell's a dick? Yeah. I think that Sydney is reasonable. I think she has every reason to behave this way. I also think it's a pretty shitty thing to be accused of murder when you didn't do it. But given her past experiences, it is unfair of you to, to expect like her I to said, behave she's, rationally. She's being reasonable. I also don't think it's unreasonable to expect that somebody who's accused of murder is upset about it. I don't think it's his responsibility to be thoughtful about her experiences and not her responsibility to be thoughtful about his experiences. I think it goes both ways. And one of these characters is like, hey, I understand why you're feeling the way that you feel. And the other one is like, you're a fucking murderer. Like, he is in this. He's cheesy. He's sappy. He's not really that interesting. But if you do like him, despite all of that, he's like a perfect boyfriend. Exactly. He does practically nothing wrong in this entire movie. It's true. I think we should give Jerry O'Connell a break. Okay. He seems like a nice guy. 
anyway, it's at the police station that Gail's there and Dewey's there. And they're talking to the police chief, who is actually David Arquette's real-life dad, who died shortly after the movie was done filming. They figure out that the victims all have names that match people from the original murder spree back in Woodsboro. Like we said, with Stevens being Stephen and Maureen being Sydney's mom. And then there's uh, Cece being short for Casey Cooper and Casey from the original. So they're noticing a trend here and they're like, oh, do you think somebody's trying to make a sequel? There's a whole premise of the entire fucking movie. And Sydney gets protection at this point. She gets two officers that are really bad at their job. Like, seriously, very bad. She's not in any danger, it turns out, but it's reasonable to think she is when she's cornered by Cotton Weary at one point. And they're just like, we think you might be in danger. Stay here, out of our vision. Yeah, it's... it's <laughs> they're bad at their job. It's just silly. <laughs> we learn that Tori Spelling is, in fact, playing Sydney in the Stab movie. Yeah, like she said she was worried about in the original movie. We also learn that Luke Wilson is playing uh, her boyfriend. Skeet Ulrich. And there's a very funny scene. I've been going through a lot lately, Billy. And my mom... Sid, I think you need to just deal with that and move on. I mean, when my mom left my dad, I accepted it. That's the way the cookie crumbles. Moms leave. Yeah, your mom left town. She's not buried in a cemetery somewhere. My mom's dead and she's never coming back. Ever. We find out that Dewey is being played by Dave Schwimmer. Yes, but we don't get to see that. And Randy tells us that he got he got some random person that's not famous. Right. Uh <laughs> oh, and at one point they say that there were naked pictures of Courtney Cox up which on the is, internet. Which is true. They were edited. She says it's Jennifer Aniston's body. Yes. Which is funny because it's a reference to Jennifer Aniston being in Friends. But so that really did happen. There were, the, there were like, in the early days of Photoshopped nudes of celebrities, uh, it was actually a really big scandal that people were mocking up fake nude photos of Courtney Cox. I remember. I was a young boy at the time. <laughs> <laughs> I was, uh, when this came out, I was 14. Yeah. So anyway, in that conversation, Randy and Dewey are, are talking about trying to figure out who the killer is and protecting Sydney. And there's a funny line where he's like, and what's with the limp? You got stabbed in the back. Severed nerve. And they say it <laughs> twice in the movie. Yeah. Uh, we should also point out that in this scene that we see with Luke Wilson and Tori Spelling, it's the scene where Skeet Ulrich <laughs> is trying to say he understands what she's going through because his mom ran off. If you remember back to the first movie, it's this kind of loop thing that they don't really stress too much. It just revealed in the end that the reason he's doing the stuff that he's doing in the original is because it was Sidney's mom sleeping with Skeet Ulrich's dad that split up his uh, Skeet Ulrich's mom and dad and she left him. Yes. And this is just a little reminder of that fact because <laughs> it'll come in handy later. <laughs> Anyway, next time we see Sydney, she's trying to talk to her director of her play that she's in. Which, first of all, the play she's in is Agamemnon, and it's an ancient Greek tragedy, and it's about murder and revenge and, you know, revenge for killing family members and stuff like that. So 
It's saying something. Ooh. Uh, Cassandra's aria in this is actually written by Danny Elfman. I thought that was really interesting. That's fun. Yeah. Anyway, she talks to her director to be like, I don't know if I could still go through with this. And the director is trying to be like, hey, I need you. You could use this. (laughs) It is truth. Kelsey, who is the director? It's David Warner, the photographer from The Omen. Yes, also. The guy from Star Trek. Gold whatever. I forget what his his name is. I remember Gold Dukat from Deep Space Nine. Not that guy, but he's Gold whatever his name is. The There Are Four Lights guy that we mentioned in our previous episode. Also, a tie back to the previous episode, Liev Schreiber, who's in The Omen remake. Boom. That's two degrees from omen to omen or whatever. Omen to omen. (laughs) And, of course, they're doing a scene where she's being attacked by a bunch of people with knives. In masks. Yeah. And do you want to talk about how they get the guy out of there without a scene? Yeah, so you start to wonder, is Sydney going crazy from the stress? Because she's up on stage, and the chorus, who, okay, if you don't know anything about theater and Greek theater (laughs) in particular... There's the chorus. Shakespeare uses a chorus several times in his plays, too. They're basically kind of non-characters that especially in, in, in Greek plays. They're basically narrators. Yeah. That especially in Greek plays, they would like talk at the same time or they talk to each other on stage about what's going on on stage. So basically everyone could follow along and the story wouldn't lose anybody and they could just exposit at you. <laughs> it's a it's a classic thing, but they would often wear masks. And in this one, they do the same thing. And then they turn on her as a character to represent what it is that her character is feeling. She's feeling confronted from all sides, confused, all of that. This scene is representing that. And when she gets confronted by all these characters in a mask, one of them turns out to have the ghost face mask on and is carrying a real knife and so she legitimately freaks out and then it grabs her and she screams and tears herself away from it and the camera follows her and when it pans back up to what she's looking at it's just some dude who takes off his mask and it's just a normal guy wearing one of the chorus masks but if you notice you can see as the camera pans down when he grabs her he bumps into another guy and that allows her to tear herself away And when the camera pans down, you can see he grabs that guy, puts him in his place, and then runs off. So that actually happens on stage. And it's intentional because it's not like they're just trying to sneakily change spaces. You see Ghostface grab him and move him. Yeah, but somehow nobody notices this dude running away. Well, because they don't know what it is that she's she's worried about. They don't know that she's worried that Ghostface is there. They just know that she's freaking out and they're doing what they're supposed to be doing. Uh, So he's confused and everyone's looking at her. No one looks at him as he's actually running away. So even though if you're not paying attention, it looks like maybe she's going crazy and we don't know what's going on. And maybe it didn't actually happen. If you are paying attention, you can see that no, legitimately he was there. He's Mm -hmm. trying to fuck with her. And then unfortunately, next up, we have the stupidest decision. Okay, so Dewey, Gale, and Randy get a phone call from the killer. Ghostface killer. Yeah, and Dewey and Gale go off to try to find people on cell phones because it's a year later, more people have cell phones than did in the previous one, but there's still few enough that they can hustle every single person with a cell phone. (laughs) 
Meanwhile, Randy's trying to keep him on the phone. And he yells at him and blah, blah, blah. Fuck you! Oh, my God. I love that delivery. He says, the killer says that you won't get the girl. This is a little hint to who the killer is. Because if somebody asked, when, when somebody asked him, what would you do to make a sequel better than the original? He says, I would have the geek get the girl. And... This person says, you're not going to get the girl. And that's when he says, fuck you. <laughs> so great. Why are you even here, Randy? You'll never be the leading man. Fuck you. No matter how hard you try, you'll never be the hero. And you'll never, ever get the girl. Hey, shit. Anyway, they decide to kill Randy here. Why? Well, in the, in the storyline... It's because he makes fun of Skeet Ulrich. That's when the killer's like, nope, you're dying. It wasn't, it wasn't going, he wasn't going to die until he started talking bad about Skeet Ulrich. <laughs> and Billy Loomis, Billy Loomis, what the fuck? Jesus, what a rat-looking, homo-repressed mama's boy. So, so Randy's dead. Randy, despite the fact that he's played by a total dipshit, Randy is one of the best things the Scream franchise had going for them. And they thought they were shaking things up by killing him off. But they weren't thinking that, (laughs) oh, we could theoretically make more of these. And they have since made two more. And in the third movie, (laughs) they wanted him back, but he was dead. So he had the foresight to pre-record a video. If you're watching this, then I must be dead. Yes, it's one of those things. You know, warning them about the tropes for a third movie. Well, if you're watching this tape, it means, as I feared, I did not survive these killings here at Windsor College. And that giving up my virginity to Karen Kolchak at the video store was probably not a good idea. The reason I'm here is to help you so that my death will not be in vain. That my life's work will help save some other poor soul from getting mutilated. It's so fucking dumb. Yeah. Because when you're watching that scene, if you know he's going to die, if you think, okay, by this point, he's already recorded that video. <laughs> it When you think of it that way, it's nonsense. <laughs> it's absolute nonsense. Especially when they're just now starting to talk about the tropes of a, of a sequel, let alone a third movie. Why would he have already made a tape about a third movie? <laughs> it's... It's so dumb, and they realize their mistake, but they couldn't undo it, so that's their solution, and it's the stupidest fucking thing. Yep. But he ends up being in a van the whole time, and he pulls him in, and he kills him, and nobody hears because these guys walk by playing 90s funk music. (laughs) Yes. That's really weird. They come by with a boombox, and they're dancing, and I'm like, it's 1997. Why does this feel like 1984? So then Sydney is accosted at a library thing. Okay, so it's a library and all the computers are hooked up to the internet and they can all message each other. So she says, oh, I'm not online or whatever. And it's like, well, they're all on a network here. It's probably somebody in the library. And so she freaks out. Oh, my God, Ghostface is here. And this is the scene where the guards are like, here, stand here. I know the other guy's already looking at all the people that are on the computers, but I must help him and leave you alone. This is when Liev Schreiber shows up and is way too aggressive. He's way too aggressive with her. I can understand that he feels like she fucked him originally and so she owes him, but she doesn't actually owe him dick all. And she has every right to say no. And he has every right to be mad, but he is very 
aggressive here. And that really scares her. But it doesn't stop her from saying, no, Cotton, fuck you. Even if he might be the killer, she's like, no, I'm not doing it. And what he's asking her to do is go on Diane Sawyer. Diane Sawyer. <laughs> it's so funny that they actually use a real person. Yeah, but he ends up getting away and not getting away, but leaving her alone. But and, he's upset. He's not happy with her. And meanwhile, um, Dewey and Gail are alone together. And I forget why. Oh, because Randy died? I don't remember. Why are they alone? They're looking at the video footage because they figure that this person is reveling in the results and everyone's bigger reaction to the new murders as opposed to the older ones. So they figure they're probably there in every, at every murder. And so they go to some lecture hall that has video equipment at a school that neither of them go to, (laughs) to review this video footage and maybe see the same person in every scene uh, until they notice that, part of the footage that they're looking at is not Gail's footage. Mm-hmm. It's somebody else's footage. And then they're being filmed, and then there's Ghostface Killer. Yes. And he basically, again, He's in the projector room. kills Dewey, but Stabs again, Dewey in the back. Dewey's not dead. <laughs> yeah, interestingly, it goes into the same exact space he was saved by his scar tissue that formed from the first stabbing. And he ends up totally fine. <laughs> but it, this is a pretty tense moment, I feel. Like, when she's trying to get away and she's behind the, the the baffling walls and, you know, you can't see where he is. And then we have soundproof rooms. And he's like, Gail, like, he's trying to get her attention. But it's too late. Ghostface stabs him. But he ends up screaming into the microphone so she can actually hear him. So she sees him get stabbed. It's pretty intense. And I thought really well done. I agree. I like it a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And then we have the scene with the ineffectual cops taking the girls to someplace safe. Yeah, they're going somewhere else. They're just getting away from things, getting away from the college. So while they're stopped at a light in this fucking ghost town, Ghostface is there at the window <laughs> and like crashes the win- the, the driver's side window in and like slits the throat of the one guy. And tears him out and and the other guy tries to attack him so he gets out and Ghostface gets in the car the dude gets on top of the car Ghostface rams the car into some construction equipment a la Christine but they're rubbed up against the right side and they're in the back of the cop car which is designed to not let them out anyway so and Ghostface is passed out passed out in the front seat yes Sydney decides we need to get out of here and so she can't kick out any windows, but she can peel back that metal uh, because dude got it right in the head. How he died is a pole from the construction equipment went through his head and through the windshield and through that grate, which split it. And she's able to peel it back and she climbs up to the front seat, but can't get out the right side because they're up against this wall. So she has to climb out over Ghostface. Now, that was really fucking tense. It was tense until until, until they had her hit the the horn. Yeah. And he still didn't wake up. Yeah. Because she wanted to take off his mask, and for some reason that required her to push back on a horn. Well, she was, she was changing her position, and she was leaning up against something, and she ended up hitting the horn. And instead of going like, oh, he still didn't wake up, I can still do the mask yeah. thing. Then she just crawls over him. Yes. 
So she crawls over him and then she gets Haley out or Hallie or however you pronounce her name. Haley does it too. Yeah. And and get, they're about to get away. No, so they they run away. Instead of Sydney being like, okay, now we're both out. We're relatively safe. And by the way, there's a gun on the hood of the car. Oh, that which was they so, do it's not grab. really frustrating. Yes. Because they even they make sure to show us it's sitting there in his hand. Right. Right there for her to take. And she doesn't. And it's really dumb. I'm surprised they don't address that. Right. But she doesn't. Perfect opportunity. They run away. And then she changes her mind (sighs) and decides to run back. And Haley decides she's not going with her. And so she goes back and she's like, he's not here. Oh, my God. He's gone. Even though they're still within eyeshot of... The car and earshot, they would have heard the door open. They would have heard it close again. And they would have seen it clearly. And remember, it's a dead silent town. They would hear him running. Right. And he would be so out of breath. That bothered me, too. Right. And it would require him to wake up exactly when they get away and get out exactly before they decide to turn around. Because they don't go very far. Mm Mm-hmm. It's just so fucking unlikely. And why would he go around the whole building? Right. Why, why wouldn't, wouldn't he, he just, just go, after, go them? after them? Yeah. He. But anyway, so Sydney's back at the car. Haley's back at this uh, pile of lumber or whatever. And he comes out and then slits her throat. And now Haley is dead. Hurrah. She runs back to the school. And it's it's also very frustrating because Haley says right before she runs back to the, the car, dumb people go back. We're smart. So we're going to keep moving forward. It's like, exactly. Yeah. More tropes. And Sydney's supposed to be sm- the smart one by now. Anyway, so she goes, she runs back trying to get help. She goes back to the school and the school's completely dead. And the reason the city's dead, the reason the city's a ghost town is because there's now a curfew in place. At sundown, nobody's allowed out. Oh, that's right. It's like the town that dreaded sundown. Yes, exactly. Yeah, I saw that movie. It's about a killer in Texas, huh? But so they just needed an explanation how they could be at a university, how they can be in a in a in an intersection, and could, there'd be nobody there. It could always be Thanksgiving weekend. <laughs> because no one stays for Thanksgiving weekend. Oh right. And Christy. Fucking Christy. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> so she makes it into the theater where she finds Jerry O'Connell. Half naked. Strung up to a display from her play. Oh, we didn't say what happened. No, it's not important. He gave her his Greek letters and he got beat up by his fraternity brothers. Yes, Jerry O'Connell did. And he got strung up. And so he's been there passed out. And so she takes off the mask and it's him. Uh, But then Mickey just comes out and reveals himself. Timothy Oliphant's character. I'm a killer. It's me. Ha ha. And. No, he doesn't. He tries. He. He convinces her that, well, no, he does admit that it's him, but he convinces her that her boyfriend was in on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I'm saying. That's this next step. So he has to reveal himself to be the killer first. And then he tries to convince her that that Jerry O'Connell is in on it. When she tries to save him, he just shoots Jerry O'Connell and kills him. Oh, Jerry O'Connell's dead. The perfect boyfriend did nothing wrong. Even when she went to break up with him because she couldn't trust him, he was like, fine, okay. I, I I don't like it, but what am I going to do? You know, like he's just this sweet guy, just a sweet fucking doofus. And he ends up dying. Poor Jerry O'Connell. Uh, but that doesn't mean that Mickey does not have a partner in all of this. And Gail comes out 
But it's not Gail because there's somebody behind her. There is a character that we haven't mentioned this entire fucking conversation. And that's this other reporter that's been following Gail around because Gail is her idol or whatever. And it's Laurie Metcalf, the the aunt on Roseanne, uh, Oscar nominated Laurie Metcalf. <laughs> she was the mom in Lady Bird. And it's revealed that she is actually Mrs. Loomis. Mrs. Loomis. Just like Mrs. Voorhees. Yes, exactly. And they mention Mrs. Voorhees earlier on in the movie. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mrs. Loomis, it's Billy Loomis, Skeet Ulrich's mom, the one who left him. And then he went crazy, and then Sidney killed him, and she is upset with Sidney. You killed my son, and now I kill you, and I can't think of anything more rational. And everyone makes the point that, yes, he was a murderer and you left him. That probably fucked him up more than anything. Yeah, she says that. So Mrs. Loomis ends up killing Mickey. Because he's like, oh, I know, already know my defense. The movies made me do it. Wow. In our heads, we're thinking, that's really bad. He's so confident about that. And when she finally just shoots him, yeah, uh, she's like, can you believe that? He was going to say the movies made me do it. That would never work. I was like, okay, cool. Good on you. Scream 2. That's a nice subversion of a trope. I like that. Mickey was a good boy, but my God, that won't blame the movies motive. Did you buy that for one second? Poor boy was completely out of his mind. But so at this same time, um, they're having a conversation and... Sydney is just like, you abandoned your son. Like, that's why yeah. he did what he did. Yeah. It's pretty great. I love that they're they're conscious of that. Yeah. Anyway, when Mickey gets shot, he accidentally shoots Gale and Gale falls into the orchestra section. Then Sydney and Mrs. Loomis are chasing each other around when Cotton shows up and Mrs. Loomis grabs Sydney and is holding her and is trying to convince Cotton to join her. And it's like, hey, she's responsible for putting you in prison. She's responsible for ruining your life. And he's thinking about it. And Sydney says, I'll do it. Consider it done. Meaning she'll do the interview with him. It's kind of a fucked up moment. The fact that he, he would need that to do yeah. it. He says that, though. They mention it. After. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> You know I would have never hurt you, right, Sydney? <laughs> it's like it feels like almost he's just saying that because she agreed to it. Exactly. Yeah. And so he shoots Mrs. Loomis, and she falls down. And then, bah! Gail Weathers comes up out of the orchestra. They pull her up, and then Sydney just unloads into Mrs. Loomis. And then? Just in case. Oh, yeah, and then fucking Mickey pops back up and does this dramatic spin around, and she just shoots him in the head. Yes, and then, yeah, and then she shoots Mrs. Loomis. Just in case. <laughs> Just for funsies. And then uh, and then walks out, and this is when we reveal that Dewey is still alive, and when everyone comes to Sydney being like, Sydney, Sydney, what's going on? What happened? She says, you know, if you want to know what really happened, you should talk to Cotton. He's the real hero. Hopefully trying to vindicate Cotton and give him what it is that he's looking for. Uh, and then he says, uh, there's a time and a place and a price. You know, because he wants to get paid. He needs to get those Benjamins. Uh, and then he says, I'll tell you one thing. It'll make a hell of a movie. And then end of movie. Lightning round, Kelsey. 
There were a ton of things I wanted to talk about with the beginning scene, so I'm just going to list them really fast. Okay. To add to the craziness of this premiere movie that Jada Pinkett Smith and Omar Epps are going to, there's like a big giant stabbing hand, and there was a ghost that was run on a track. Yeah. Which I'm pretty sure is an allusion to what they did for House on Haunted Hill. Yeah, yeah, I think it is. I think it is. I thought it was interesting that they had Jada Pinkett Smith yelling at the TV move at the at the screen. Uh, Star sixty nine is as yeah. Like, is that a comment on the fact that they didn't address that in the yes, first one? It is, yeah. But pointing out the tropes does not mean you get to get away with the tropes. It's not like that's. I've mentioned this before. Just because you're commenting on them doesn't mean you're not expected to do better. In fact, that's worse. If you acknowledge that they're the case, you should be doing better. Uh, her outfit is extremely late 90s. She's yes. got like ribbons, tight sleeves. These Ev- little everything is extremely late 90s. Spaghetti straps. And the color is really bright. But it's something weird. There, there's a part where Omar Epps is listening to the person in the stall next to him. And if you listen to what the guy's saying, he's like, I didn't, I swear, I'll tell you why. Listen, mommy. Yeah. I guess that's supposed to be Timothy Oliphant. Yeah. But we don't ever learn anything about his mommy issues. I mean, yeah, it's kind of a reference to the fact that it's the mom that's the killer. But I think he's just trying to be weird. And he wants to stab him in the head. But, like, even still, how would he know that his head is in the exact right place when he's sitting in the other (laughs) stall? It's dumb. All I can think about is getting a penis. Yep. Through the glory hole into his ear. From Scary Movie. Yeah. Uh, At one point in the background in Sydney's room, there's a dress that looks very much like Freddy's outfit. Only it's red and black stripes. Yeah, it's like a dark blue or purple, I think. Her dormitory is nothing like any dormitory I've ever seen. It was like this beautiful house. Except Happy Death Day, (laughs) there's there's a a realistic dormitory. I love Gail Weathers' dress. She's got like this little mini skirt on with this really long jacket, and it's got like uh, gold buttons. It's very 90s. (laughs) I thought the stage effects at the end were a little bit much... I when wanted she's to talk about that. Like doing Why? the lightning and the lights and, and everything's like when she's just flipping switches is normal and there's sparks going off like they're in Victor Frankenstein's basement laboratory. Like why it's like that. That's backstage equipment. Like it needs to work well. It's not designed to look spooky. But even still, like if you're in the middle of a fight with somebody who's trying to kill you, would you take the time to be like, I know, I'll creep them out? Lightning. I was fine with her. I was fine with her just pulling all the switches because I thought that was her just trying to like move everything. Because yeah. you know how it, it releases the rocks on her and but stuff. But then she reaches out and grabs Yes, when she reaches out to grab the thunder, the I metal, I literally yeah. uh-huh. wrote that. Why? Yeah. Why with the thunder? It's a bit much. It's stupid. Yeah. The rules of a horror movie sequel are as follows. Randy says them. Number one, the death total is always greater. The kill count of the original Scream movie is seven. The kill count of this one is ten. Number two, the murder scenes are always much more elaborate with more blood and gore. I don't necessarily think this one was that much gorier than 
the first movie. There's, I remember there being a lot of blood when it was Dewey, who we thought was being killed, but ended up not being killed. And there were like throats being slit, which was a little gory. But think about how much blood was in the first movie. There's blood fucking everywhere. Well, there's a lot of blood at the beginning when Jada Pinkett Smith gets uh, stabbed uh, a bunch. Yeah. I don't know. Now, they cut him off in this movie before he says, and number three, and then Dewey cuts him off. The way I see it, someone's out to make a sequel. You know, cash in on all the movie murder hoopla. So it's our job to observe the rules of the sequel. Number one, the body count is always bigger. Number two, the death scenes are always much more elaborate. More blood, more gore. Carnage, candy. Your core audience just expects it. And number three, if you want your sequel to become a franchise, never, ever... How do we find the killer, Randy? That's what I want to know. But they do have it in the trailer. And number three, never, ever, under any circumstances... Assume the killer is dead. Which I guess is good that they didn't put in this movie because, like, what, are we supposed to think that Stu is still alive and Skeet is still alive? (laughs) Skeet, 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 Skeet. (laughs) So I'm kind of glad that they took that out, but it is good as a teaser in the trailer. I'm fine with that. Uh, Those are the three rules of horror movie sequels, apparently. When Buffy gets killed in the background, yeah. you can see Nosferatu playing. Yes. Which I believed because of who the killer is, that he would want to put on like an old school scary film. Right. When he's murdering somebody. But she somebody. was watching that. But he was in the room. He went into the room after she left it, oh, so yeah, he okay, could have easily changed it. So let's talk about that. There are several movies that are mentioned in this one, just like in the first one. Just real quick, going to burn through them. Oh, the whole conversation that they have about, about sequels, m- movie sequels and stuff versus like that. the original. Yes. I would like to vote in on this. Okay, what? Let's do that first. What? What sequel do you think is better than the original? They well, no. ultimately land on Godfather. Godfather Two being better than the original. Yes. But what do you think? Well, I agree with like almost all of the ones that they they bring up. I think there's only one that they bring up that I don't care about. Aliens versus Alien, I disagree. I think Alien is better than Aliens, even though I like Aliens. No, didn't they say better or as good as? No, they're talking about surpassing the original. Oh. I prefer to watch Aliens. I prefer to watch Terminator 2. Yeah, but okay. I, that doesn't I totally mean that I don't that. love and appreciate the originals. Yeah, T2 is awesome. <laughs> I love T2. But I also think, this being a horror podcast, that the first Terminator is a much better example of a horror movie. It legitimately, it's a horror movie. Terminator 2 is, I mean, it, you could argue that it is. But it's a little more an action movie with a, I don't know. Sci-fi not horror twist. twist. Sci-fi horror twist, yeah. Whereas the first one is legitimately a horror movie. Um, at least a lot more so. Like, I appreciate them for different reasons. It's the same thing with Alien and Aliens. It's almost exactly the same. Mm-hmm. And it's James Cameron in both instances. What's the other one that they brought up, though? Empire Strikes Back. Right? But he mentioned something about it. Oh, it was a planned trilogy. So yeah, it so doesn't it doesn't count. count. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Which is that true? What? He didn't have all three set up. He did, yeah. Did he? Yeah. His original outline was all three stories. It was a lot different than what we ended up getting. (laughs) Which, yes, it was not in the original plan that Luke and Leia were were brother and sister. (laughs) Stuff like that was not originally 
in the outline. Darth Vader being Luke's father, that kind of stuff. Han Solo was an alien, not a human. Like Spoilers. There's all sorts of stuff <laughs> that didn't turn out originally, but he did have a very long outline, and he ended up having to break it into three parts and only filming the first part to get Star Wars made. The first one in 77. So, <laughs> all the things that they reference are Showgirls, uh, Mute Witness, The Bodyguard, Candyman, The Terminator, Terminator 2 Judgment Day, Cheerleader Camp, Friday the 13th Part 7, The New Blood, House 2, The Second Story, Cassandra, Lethal Weapon, Top Gun, A Nightmare on Elm Street, Splatter University, Final Exam, The Dorm That Dripped Blood, The House on Sorority Row, which we watched the horror haunting on, sur, on for, fraternity, fraternity row if you go to our row. if you go to our our twitter we did that there star wars episode five empire strikes back star wars episode six return of the jedi uh they don't technically mention a new hope graduation day prom night friday the 13th speed two cruise control the <laughs> godfather the godfather part two alien aliens he knows you're alone nosferatu one flew over the cuckoo's nest black christmas demons house on haunted hill and psycho are all seen mentioned or referenced in other ways throughout the movie which is more than the original scream cool I really like the guy who becomes the new uh, cameraman. He has some really funny lines. I don't know why, but at one point he's like, Special K, X, not Malcolm. <laughs> I forget what he's talking about. He's talking he's talking about he's going to go do a lot of drugs now. <laughs> uh, so he doesn't have to deal with this. Yeah, no, that's Dwayne Martin as Joel. In Woodsboro, there were more victims before the home stretch. Tatum, my cameraman. him. Uh, See, I don't need to be hearing about no dead cameraman, all right? Now, I'm one of you guys. I am a verb away from vacating these premises. I'm going to give me some coffee, donuts, Prozac, see if I can find some crack, Special K, X, not Malcolm. And I'll be back when you guys start talking about something a little more say by the bellish, all right? One last thing I wanted to talk about. This is 1997. This is the early days of the popular internet. So, obviously, the World Wide Web as a concept had been around for a long time. But in actual application, in people's homes, AOL, that kind of stuff. So it's also the first big scandal of a script being leaked and distributed online. Very, very famously, one of the extras got his hands on the entire script and released it. Jeez. So that had, like, never been a thing before that anyone ever had to worry about. So Kevin Williamson was forced, in that case, to completely rewrite the script change who the killers were and everything and get the crew and the cast and everyone to sign NDAs and not hand out the final pages, which revealed who the killer was until they were ready to film those scenes. Jeez. So yeah, it was a really, really big deal. In some cases, people did not know what their lines were until the day they were filming it. Yeah. Well, that's what happens when people suck. Yes. So, oh, they also printed it on this special, like, gray paper, which if you tried to photocopy it, it wouldn't show up, which is which is pretty interesting. So Elaborate. In, yeah. In the original version, Gail dies. She is killed by Cotton. That would have been a mistake. They're, they're unclear as to whether Dewey dies in the, in the projection room. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sydney fights and kills Cotton. There were three different killers in total 
in one version. <laughs> Here's how it goes. The, the original killers in the movie are Derek, Haley, and Mrs. Loomis. And then when they're killed, Cotton tries to kill Sydney. So you can see where some of that stuff kind of remained in the movie. Uh-huh. By trying to point to Jerry O'Connell at, at several points, and then Mrs. Loomis trying to convince Cotton to kill Sydney. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, we got what we got, which, in my opinion, is kind of just another one. It did several things really well, but it's kind of just another scream. And part of what made the first scream so great was its uniqueness. So it made it so clever. So doing it again was a little redundant but that isn't to say that there aren't some great moments in this one that i think are painfully overlooked i agree i i really enjoy it i think that yeah it does follow a lot in the same footsteps but it yeah it, it improved on some things and other things it just it just left stagnant so what do you think it got on rotten tomatoes 86 81 percent as with the first film, Scream 2 is a gleeful takedown of scary movie conventions that manages to poke fun at terrible horror sequels without falling victim to the same fate. I agree. The original was 79%. So this one actually has a Rotten Tomatoes score higher than the original. Wow. Metacritic, 63. The original got a 65. So they're... they're in the the number of reviewers who had a po- who gave it a positive review as a percentage, that's the Rotten Tomatoes score. More percentage wise, like the sequel than like the original. As an actual score goes, on average, which is Metacritic, people like the original just slightly better than the se- than the sequel. <laughs> and it has a cinema score of a B plus. The original was not rated in cinema score, so. What do you think? Overrated? Underrated? I mean, I was planning on giving it an 80, so I guess... Before you say that... Pretty much on target? You gave the original an 86. Ha! It's funny. Which is what you guessed guessed. for this one, yeah. uh, Yeah, I'm okay with that. You think 80 is just about right? Yeah, I was debating between 79 and 80. I'd say 80. I I think 80 is a good, good score, because it's not as, like, revelatory as the first movie was and singular anymore, which is the problem. So it doesn't stand out as much as it could. Mm-hmm. If there was no original, this movie would never exist. Mm-hmm. And it, what made the first one so great is because it was so original. Unlike movies where some sequels end up being better than the originals, like for instance, uh, a new nightmare <laughs> is really good. It's better than some of the other sequels. Mm-hmm. But that's original kind of in the same way that Scream is original and in, in, in what it's tackling and, and how it's looking at tropes and it's very meta. It does rely on the first one, but it doesn't rely on having the same value as the first one does. And this kind of does. So, But it's still really good. I still really liked it. So it's not enough to give it a bad score, but it, I'll give it an 80. Okay. As well. All right. That was 1997 Scream 2. Before we move on to our next film, Kelsey... Trivial Pursuit Horror Edition. What is the name of the character shot by Vincent Gray in the opening of 1999's The Sixth Sense? What is the name of the character? So I can't just say Die Hard Guy. What's his name? (laughs) 
Even if you could think of his name, you'd I have know, to I think of get his it. character's what's name. His, what's his name? Bruce Willis. Bruce Willis. Thank you. It's Bruce Willis's character, Doctor. Obviously, <laughs> I don't know his character's name. Doctor Malcolm Crow. Thank you. God, that's annoying. <laughs> All right, here's one. What are the final words of protagonist Max Wren in Videodrome 1983? I don't know. You've I seen Videodrome. I haven't seen it in like 10 years. I'll give you a hint. It's the tagline throughout the movie. What? Long live the new flesh. Oh. Are we going to do Videodrome at any point? I think so. Okay. All right, moving on, we're going to talk about 2016's Don't Hang Up, written by Joe Johnson and directed by Damien Massey, Alexis Wajbrot, and starring Greg Sulkin, Garrett Clayton, and Bella Dane. Kelsey, what is Don't Hang Up about? These pranksters have the tables turned on them one night when someone decides to get revenge. Yeah, should people watch it? If it, it, where did we watch it? How did we see it? Was it free? So it's free on Vudu and Popcorn Flicks and Tubi TV. We watched it on Shudder, which is the horror and thriller subscription service that you get if you have a premium account on VRV, which we do. So if you, you should, I'd recommend it because Shudder comes with it, Crunchyroll comes with it. Highly recommend that subscription. It's a great way to get a lot of horror movies. I mean, if you have one of those services and you don't have anything to do, I'd watch it. I mean, I thought the It was better than I thought it was going it was to be. A, it was a lot better than I thought it was going to be. Yeah. And the beginning is actually really solid, but halfway through, it just falls apart. <laughs> and, and I'm sorry, but one... No, I guess I don't need to be sorry for this, but one of the actors... This is basically a two-actor movie throughout yeah. most of it. One of the actors I thought was really fucking good. Like, I really enjoyed him. Which one? The dick. Yeah, he was good. He was really good. I I normally don't like those dick characters, but he was very compelling. I thought it was very well acted. I hope he goes places, because he obviously is very skilled. Yeah, I mean, if you have one of those services and you got nothing to do, go ahead and watch it. I wouldn't say rush out and watch it right now or anything Yeah, like no, yeah. it's... You might hate us by the end of the movie, but the fa the first half is pretty solid. I will tell you it was hard for me to enjoy this movie because of all the things I was thinking about the entire time. And we'll talk about that when we talk about 2016's Don't Hang Up. Are you having fun? It's all one big joke to you, isn't it? These phone calls you make. Dude, just give it up already. We're done with you. We're just getting started, Brady. Your night is about to get exciting, and no matter what, don't hang up. This guy's doing all of this for a reason, man, and we have to figure out what it is. Did you know he went after Peyton? I'll let her go if you kill Brady. Let me loose! Let me loose! Time to decide what's more important, yourself or the people you love. Sorry, boys, you've been pranked. All right, Kelsey, why don't you get us started? What happens in Don't Hang Up? So as I said, this is about a group of prank 
callers and they they videotape themselves doing it and then they upload it to the internet. And this starts with a prank call sent at 3.23 in the morning. Yeah. They convince a woman that her child has been taken by an abductor. And then they think they've got her on the phone and they tell her you've been pranked, but she has dropped the phone. Yeah. And we don't get to see what happens. I have one last thing to tell you. I'm very sorry to inform you that you've been pranked, bitch. Yeah, being part of a prank is is finding out what somebody does in a situation where that they think is real. That's part of it. The other part is getting the reaction at the end. The prank video would be valueless <laughs> without that reaction at the end, and yet they still upload this video, this video. Like, what they did is criminal. <laughs> and they uploaded it to the internet, and they got millions of views. At least a million by the time you show all the all the views counting up. And two things I was asking at the beginning. Number one, why weren't the police going after these guys themselves? And number two, if it's so popular, how does she not know that she was pranked by this point? I can believe her not realizing that she's been pranked. I don't believe that. When we find out what happened, the police did not get involved. Right. That's absurd. Right. Agreed. Agreed. So they're a they're a prank YouTube crew or whatever. And these things exist. YouTube pranks generally suck. They're really, really bad. Prank shows are not actually pranks most of the time. It's just them going like, hey, can I convince this girl at the beach to kiss me? <laughs> like, that's not a prank. That's like assaults <laughs> anyway uh led by prank monkey 69 69 dudes this guy named jeff mosley and our two main characters sam fuller and brady Mannion. sam fuller is like the main character but honestly it should have been brady <laughs> like i said before brady is awesome he's an awful person but like the actor did a, did a great job with him and then we get kind of the same intro as we got in Antisocial, where, like, they show us the person based on their YouTube personality. Right. And we find out that Sam and his girlfriend are in a fight. They might be broken up. Sam even calls out Brady as being a dick in one of their conversations. And we don't know why. We don't know what's going on. The main character's girlfriend works at a pizza place. So they prank call the pizza place and have them order a pizza to their neighbor across the street. Yeah. Who they also have prank called and convinced that he's getting pranked. Yes. Through the pizza. Uh-huh. He like almost beats up their friend. Mosley. So their friend also works for the pizza yeah. place. <laughs> uh, and this guy brings out a baseball bat and like uh -huh. is threatening to kill, to hit the guy. And then we get a montage. I mostly confronts them, calls them dicks or whatever. And then, then we get a montage of them pranking throughout the night to make Sam feel better. He, they need to lighten him up because he doesn't feel very great with the situation with him and his girlfriend. And they prank call a lot of people. Yes. And we also get this moment of like, I'm going to, his friend Brady is going to 
join the army because he needs direction in his life and he wants to prove himself to his parents. The Marines. Yes, and I think this is supposed to be us getting to know that there's more to him than we get, but there really isn't. A lot of shit happens in this movie to show to us. No, he's just a piece of shit kid. Well, I mean, it's a tale as old as time. Some directionless kid who doesn't get along with his parents has no idea what he wants to do out of high high school, so he just joins the military. Ah, Ship out right after graduation. But wait, what about film school? Have you seen my grades? (laughs) Nah, man. No, my only options are working with my dad or getting as far away from here as possible. We get that all the time. And while the military, in some respects, does a great job of, like, shaping directionless kids up, uh, I don't know that that necessarily is the best default scenario for them because also oftentimes it, you know, makes them worse. So what are you going to do? So anyway, this guy calls himself Mr. Lee and warns them not to hang up on him. That, that, you says the title, you wins the movie. <laughs> Your night is about to get very exciting. So I suggest you pay attention and no matter what, don't hang up. They end up hanging up on him. Now you're just making me do it. They just do it. They're like, ah, fuck you, dude. And they hang up on him. And then he ends up calling them back. Now, he shouldn't be able to do this because Sam has caller ID blocked. This is the whole reason they're able to do these prank calls is because they have the service where they can't be identified on somebody's caller ID or star six nine, I think. Is he star 69 even a thing anymore? Can you do that anymore? I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, who knows? But over the course of a few phone calls, Mr. Lee reveals the fact that he knows their names he knows their addresses. He knows details about them. And he knows that Peyton, Sam's girlfriend, is coming over with pizza. And she does, in fact, show up. Now, Sam and Peyton end up having a conversation in his room. And we still don't find out much more about why they're on the outs. But Peyton doesn't want to be there. She also reveals that the reason she's there is that Mosley never came back from his trip delivering pizza the first time. She leaves, and they end up getting text messages from Mr. Lee as well. Uh, He sends them video clips. This is when he reveals, you know, in a very do-you-want-to-play-a-game Saw fashion, and this movie rips off Saw in more than just that way. We'll talk about that later. He reveals that he has Brady's parents. And they're tied up in their underwear to chairs. And Sam notices that they're at Brady's house because he recognizes the clock on the wall. He's like, dude, that's your house. But they can't leave because if they leave, Mr. Lee will kill Brady's parents. They also try to call 911. But when they do, Mr. Lee is the one that answers. Now, there are plenty of reasons why this might be possible. They never explain how he actually does it, ever. During the movie, I'm thinking, oh, I know how he does this. I know how they accomplish this. But then as they reveal exactly what's going on here, they just forgot that that stuff ever happened, and so they never bother to explain how he accomplishes it. It's just he has that power. He's he's phone magic, I guess. <laughs> how did you think he was doing it? That would reveal the twist. Oh. Do we not want to reveal the twist? Are we not ready to do that yet? Uh, I mean, 
Okay, here. Yeah, no. I'll give you the context that I watched the entire fucking movie. I watched the entire fucking movie under the impression that one of the two of these young men was pranking the other one. Because Brady mentions that Prank Monkey 69 was supposed to come over. That he was invited over. And then through the course of all of their pranking adventures that night, he never shows up. I'm like, okay, well, he's in on it. Right? And, I thought this too. And they have close access to each other's phones and that sort of thing. So maybe they, they fucked with the phones that way, I was thinking. And I went back and forth as to who it could be. But eventually I go back and forth so many times that neither option makes sense. And they would have to cheat for either one of those to make sense. But now I'm watching the whole, like almost the entire movie under the impression that one of them is pranking the other one and just trying to figure that out. And, and then being upset because acknowledging that neither one of them could be it. So <laughs> it kind of diminished my enjoyment of the movie, but it also helped me point out all the things that I was expecting answers to that I never got. Like how Mr. Lee hijacks their phones. The real answer is neither one of them is pranking the other. Mr. Lee is a real person. He's the husband of the woman they pranked at the beginning of the movie. And he reveals at the end of the movie that what happened is she got a gun and she went to go find her daughter and protect her daughter and, and found her not in her bedroom. When another door opened, she immediately and instinctually fired through it, killing her daughter and then recognizing that she killed her daughter, kills herself. Mr. Lee shows up at home and his wife and daughter are dead because these boys pranked her. Which is another one of those instances where it is absurd to think that the police would not get involved, that the police would not go after these yeah. prank callers uh -huh. when it's so obvious and, and accessible that they did it. There's proof all over the internet. Right. Wouldn't take much searching to find out. And... I don't know, it kind of reminded me of Don't Breathe, where we have a man who's driven over the edge with vengeance on the brain, but just the things that this person decides to do for that vengeance are ridiculous because the law should be able to handle it. Right, and even still, this plan is so fucking elaborate that it can go wrong in any number of ways. Yes. Listen, if you want to kill these kids and you know where they live and you know everything about them, just fucking do it, man. Just do it. I, I, anyway, not that I encourage murder or anything. <laughs> they figure out pretty quickly that the house is bugged. And yeah. that is how he knows all the things that they're planning on doing. A few more things happen. Another thing that leads me to believe that it's fake and that Prank Monkey is in on it is Mr. Lee wearing a mask shows up on their screen. And he has Prank Monkey 69. 69, dudes! Tied up and then suffocates him. But we don't actually see him suffocate. Mr. Lee stands in front of the video for a while and talks about how... Prank Monkey's dying, and then he moves out of the way and Prank Monkey's dead. Like, okay, well, that could have easily been faked within the context of this movie. Another, and Prank Monkey knows that he's going over to Sam's house or he was invited over to Sam's house. So, like, ugh, anyway. But so, eventually, they think that he's in the house. And Sam decides to go and look into it. He thinks that Mr. Lee has... Prank monkey either at the front of the house or the back of the house, and I don't remember why. Well, he hears noises upstairs, so he doesn't know if it's if it's coming from upstairs or the back, 
And then he he determines it's upstairs. He goes upstairs. He opens a closet, and it's just a Roomba running Stuck around in a closet. closet. Yeah. So then he goes, ah, oh, it's the back door. And he like, okay, well, you you found out where the noise was coming from. Why would you think now that the noise is coming from the back door? But anyway, he goes to the back door. He opens it up because there's thudding against the back door now. And Mosley, with a bag over his head, falls on him. And he has, like, a string tied around his neck, holding him up. So now he's suffocating. So Sam cuts that off of him and then takes this tape that's on his neck off, revealing that his throat had been slit and all this blood comes gushing out of it. Yes. And then Mosley dies. And this whole time, Brady has been left alone with the phone, talking to Mr. Lee. Yeah. And it is clear that Mr. Lee has given him some sort of option. We don't know what it is yet. But what Brady tells him is he has offered up my parents in exchange for us or something. But you know what? My parents would want us to get away. Yeah, and it's easy to infer that Mr. Lee had told Brady that if you kill Sam, I'll save your parents. It's easy to infer that. It's pretty obvious but Brady's like ride or die with Sam. They are brothers for life, effectively. So he's trying to get Sam to leave, but in the meantime, Mr. Lee is like, hey, Sam, I've got something to show you. Right. I think Brady knows what's going on here. He knows he's trying to pit the two of them against each other. And so it's Brady's objective to get them out of there. He will let his parents die if he can save Sam. He does not want Sam to be offered a similar offer in the other direction. So Sam figures out that Brady was offered something by Mr. Lee. The two of them get into a fight. Brady hits his head and Sam ends up zip tying him to the the stairway. This is when the TV turns on and we see video footage of a little girl. I miss you, Daddy. Can't wait till we get back home and I love you till the end of time. And Sam recognizes that from a friend request he got on their equivalent to Facebook. He got a friend request from this little girl. So he goes to that little girl's profile and sees all the stuff that she's posted. uh, And that includes... A a video of Peyton having sex with Brady. And this is the thing. It still doesn't change the whole prank thing because we never actually see them having sex. It's just afterwards. If Mr. Lee had this video, wouldn't he show that part of the video? It doesn't explain how he got that video either, by the way. Well, we knew he'd already infiltrated their house because he had the parents in the house. Yeah, right. So So he has the video. Yeah. Why wouldn't he show that part of the video? He wants one of them to kill the other one. Why wouldn't you show the actual sex? Well, because it's very easily, I mean, like she's getting off of him when the video starts. And then she discovers that he has been videotaping her. Uh Uh-huh. And she's just like, did you seriously record us having sex? He's like, well, you came over here to be slutty anyway. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then she's like, you know, this is over or whatever. And he's like, well, fuck you, slut. And then when she leaves, he like makes a joke to the camera and turns Oh, about off. how he, he found the other the other camera. And he talks to it almost like Apu in that one episode of The Simpsons. This is just between you and me, smashed hat. <laughs> Yeah, I always got my number two camera in the corner. Oh, get that pussy, yeah. Now this is just between me and you, smashed hat. <laughs> so, of course, Sam is upset and Brady's like, why are you pissed at me? She's the one that cheated on you. And it's like, ah, 
also supposed to be my best friend, you douchebag. Right. This is also, though, before Sam can, like, he, he pulls a gun on Brady and he hits him. But before he can do anything, he, he realizes something. The video footage that has Brady's parents in it is from hours earlier. And so he decides that this means that they're already dead. That's why he has to show them old footage and not live footage. So he ends up cutting Brady free. He also is like, if you really have my girlfriend and she's okay, you need to let me talk to her. And Mr. Yeah. Lee keeps not letting him talk to her. So yeah. he also is assuming that you probably killed Peyton, too. Mm -hmm. And this is when Brady is like, maybe this is my one chance to make it right. And he wants to save Sam. Yeah, so when they agree to go outside, Brady just closes the door behind him. And, I mean, here's the deal. The whole point of going outside is so they can make a break for it because they think Mr. Lee is there in the house. And Sam keeps banging on the door, yelling at Brady. Now, I get it. You're like, hey, dude, don't stay behind. I don't want you to die, too. I understand that impulse. But, like, the whole point is doing it so where even if Mr. Lee knows you're doing it, you can get away fast enough. But now you're just hanging around, making noise, saying, hey, I'm outside now. It's kind of stupid. By this point, the movie has become very tedious. Yes. Everything up to this is is interesting. Yeah. Up to this point, it was actually pretty tense. These guys are given awful choices. It's, you know, it's a difficult, it's difficult decision making. These people are supposed to be good friends, but they've got problems. And, you know, at the same time, you know that they did something terrible. But at the same time, you're wondering, should they do they deserve this? But then at this point, it just gets real tedious. And at, I was just like, okay, I'm ready for this movie to be over. So Sam's outside. He sees a van that's been there for a very long time. He opens up the van and he finds Peyton there tied up. He cuts her out. Brady, on the other hand, is inside. He passes by Mosley's dead body in the mudroom towards the backyard. And he goes outside and finds a body in a swing. And when as he gets closer to it, he realizes that it's Mosley. But he passed by Mosley's dead body on the way out here. And then we see Mosley's dead body stand up and it's revealed that it's actually Mr. Lee. The other thing that they just completely wholesale ripped off of Saw. Mm -hmm. So then M Mr. Lee uses this opportunity, I guess, to attack him. He could have attacked him in any other way. He gained absolutely nothing by pretending to be Mosley inside the house. Absolutely nothing. And it's not like there's any doors between where Mosley's body was and where these guys were. So how they didn't hear any of this is remarkable. Mm -hmm. It's a huge risk Mr. Lee was taking for absolutely no reason, no substantial gain. It's ridiculous. But anyway, Mr. Lee comes out and attacks Brady. So Sam sends Peyton off to go get help or to just stay there and not do anything, which... Seems like a bad idea, but nothing bad comes of it, so it's okay. <laughs> he goes to the backyard looking for Brady, and then he screams at Peyton, and so she just comes over there anyway when he finds Mosley's body moved, and there's no body in the back now. And then Peyton's like, Sam, watch out! And there's Mr. Lee in a mask 
holding his hands together and not making any noises. It's so painfully obvious. So painfully obvious. That his hands are tied together and that he obviously isn't saying anything and that he doesn't even try to, like, hurt Sam. Yes. Like, it's super, well, actually, that's not true. He does attack Sam, but that's only because Sam is going to try and kill him. But he does only, like, mere flesh wounds and, like, tries to run away. Yeah, he's trying to get away. So it's obviously not Mr. Lee. And by the way, this is done by tons of movies in the past as well, where you dress a hostage up to look like the villain uh, holding a weapon. It happens most famously probably in Dark Knight, where the hostages are dressed up like... Uh, Joker's goons in their masks and all the goons are dressed up like the hostages and so Batman needs to fight the SWAT team so they don't actually kill the hostages so I mean this stuff is it's not unique in any way and it was so painfully obvious that it fucking hurt Mm -hmm. so he kills Mr. Lee in quotes and then it's he's able to tell when he's like it's okay Peyton you're all right he can't hurt you anymore and then he realized that this Mr. Lee has Semper Fi newly tattooed on his arm which is what Brady had turns out he killed Brady and now he's really sad and then Mr. Lee actually shows up and he explains everything the same explanation that we had uh, before, so he's it's his objective to kill to get revenge on all four of these boys, which is Mosley, Prank Monkey, sixty nine dudes, Sam and Brady, and then he knocks Sam unconscious and kills Peyton. Yes, to make it look like Sam did it. Yeah, and then we have an, a platoon ending. <laughs> Yeah, he does one of these, no, (laughs) shouting at the sky on his knees, arms raised. Because the police are showing up and they're going to take him in. And and the video playing inside the house now is video of the affair. So it's all set up to look like Sam killed his friend and Peyton. It doesn't explain why Brady's parent, it maybe explains why Brady's parents are dead. It does not explain why Prank Monkey's dead. It does not explain why Mosley's dead. And there's so much of a fucking mess all over the place that there is no way that Mr. Lee cleaned up any evidence that something more than just a revenge killing is going on. Like, I do not believe that the cops would just be like, oh, but then shut case. When you have a guy going, no, it's much more complex than that and you're gonna have to address those items in court you're gonna have to investigate them and you're gonna find out exactly what happened it's way too complex mr lee should have just fucking killed them yes anyway then we get an epilogue and mr lee has decided to target other pranksters now he's the prankster avenger and that's the movie yeah kelsey lightning round I don't understand most of my notes, so we're just going to not do it. (laughs) (laughs) A lot of my notes surround my thought process with it being either Brady or Sam. Uh, First of all, I was thinking, oh, this is just like Rami Malek and Until Dawn. Not to do spoilers on that, but you should play that game. I think maybe we should play that game. Yeah. Yeah. And review it. Not review it. I mean, we should play the game and record our audio over it and just, like, put it up on YouTube or something. (laughs) I mean, it would make sense because Sam did blame something on Brady regarding his breakup and we don't know what it was. But if it's not them fucking, then what was it? 
That's <laughs> never explained. It's also Brady's phone that's first taken over, which would make sense if Brady was the actual prankster. Uh, but then Lee communicates with Brady when he's alone. So why would he do that if Brady was in on it the whole time? But then Sam finds Mosley alone, so it couldn't be Sam. So if it's either one of them, it would be cheating. I'm fine with plot holes, but in order to get this movie's turn, if it has one, it's cheating for it. Then it turns out it's not, so it's just a red herring anyway, but not an interesting one. It's just a frustrating one. And I was like, no, it's Brady. But if it was, why would he let Sam get that close to him tied up with a knife and thinking that Brady had sex with his girlfriend without calling the prank right there? And then I wrote, I'll be so pissed if there's no twist. <laughs> they they just pulled the you've been pranked line, which is what Lee says over the phone. You don't know yet that it's a prank, does he know? I'm sorry, boys. I haven't been entirely honest with you. In fact, you've been pranked. This is like that Ashram Kitchen show, Pranked. Or Wilma Vamarami's Blow Mama. But I guess since it's twisted, that kind of could work the twist is that this is revenge for the earlier pranks but that just feels painfully obvious yep. now i feel like it not being a prank is the only way to save the movie <laughs> but i guess that's basically what i thought from the start but even still it's just kind of obvious so your options are a broken movie which is just painfully broken or an obvious movie, which is just painfully obvious. I just, I was, I was thinking, Oh, couldn't just be this obvious the entire time. There has to be some deeper twist <laughs> and there never fucking was. Nope. It's really, really frustrating, but that's basically all I have. I mean, it's fun to watch for a while and then it just gets real dumb. Yeah. What do you think it got on Rotten Tomatoes? I think I know. I think it's 26. It's 25. Um, How do you know? I saw it at some point. Okay. No consensus review, no Metacritic, no cinema score. Do you think 25 is overrated or underrated? Maybe slightly underrated, but just barely. I think 25 is a little harsh. I was going to give it probably like a 35. I was thinking more like a 50. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, because, I mean, while I think this movie doesn't pull off anything it tries to pull off, it does It does some really ex exciting things. Sometimes. Um, Sometimes it does do some good stuff. But unfortunately, I feel like that a lot of it just gets buried under the bullshit. Right. But it's not like bad in an interesting way either or bad in an angering way. It's just bad in a, oh, that's it kind of way. So it doesn't drive me further down the list. The last quarter is incredibly boring. It is. Like, I'm, you're just sitting there like, come on, just end at this point. I can see that, yeah. But then again, Garrett Clayton, the guy who plays Brady, I think I have a man crush on that dude. He's he he was He was in the live version of Hairspray. He was in something called <laughs> Teen Beach Movie. <laughs> he was also in The Fosters, that TV show on Freeform. And some thing called King Cobra. I don't know. He's a musician, maybe. <laughs> uh, I don't know anything about him. Chris but is I way into this guy. But I really liked him in this. I really did. I thought he showed emotion very well. I thought he played a dick that was desperate to maintain this one friendship. I was kind of surprised they didn't go down like a gay route, which I'm. But I'm glad they didn't. <laughs> but. I just, I really liked him, and I was kind of bummed that this movie did him dirty, in a way, I guess you could say. <laughs> All right, so that is 2016's Don't Hang Up. 
another movie where the killer stalks the victims over the phone. Not as good as Scream 2, which in turn was not as good as Scream 1, I don't think. Agreed. Yeah. All right, that is this week's episode. But before we go, Kelsey, what are we watching next week? Next week is St. Patrick's Day. Is it actually St. Patrick's Day? Yeah. Okay. So in anticipation of uh, St. Patrick's Day, we are going to watch a movie called God Told Me To. That's a movie that I was telling Kelsey, oh, I own that movie. She's like, really? Have you seen it? No. (laughs) I have never seen it, but apparently there is a scene where someone gets killed during a St. Patrick's Day parade, which if you remember back to last year. Maniac Cop. We watched Maniac Cop on St. Patrick's Day because it opens with the St. Patrick's Day parade in New York. Yeah, uh uh-huh. And then we are going to pair it with a movie that I'm excited to do because I've seen it and I really, really like it called Holidays. I have not seen it. I'm pretty sure it's a Netflix original. It's an anthology movie with a bunch of vignettes about scary things happening on holidays. And one of them is St. Patrick's Day. If you remember back to when we did Dead of Night, we did Dead of Night for the same reason. That's another anthology movie that we included because there's one of the little vignettes is about Christmas. All right, so I'm excited about that. Yeah. I I haven't seen Holidays, so I'm excited to see that. I also haven't seen God Told Me To, and I've owned it for years, so it's about damn time I actually watch it. Until then, you can always reach us at podcemetery.com, where you can browse our episodes and a list of every movie we've ever had on the show. You can leave a comment to share your thoughts on these movies or recommend one or two for us to cover in a future episode. You can also email us at podcemetery at gmail.com and follow us on Twitter at podcemetery. There I'll be adding extra comments or GIFs or images or clips that I feel need to be shared while I'm editing the movies. And also, Kelsey will sometimes live tweet a random horror movie that either she's watching by herself or we're watching together. Most recently, that was The Haunting on Fraternity Row. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on the podcatcher of your choice. Five-star written reviews are the best thing you can do for us on that front, but better than that is sharing us with your friends, and better than that is listening in the GD first place. Until next week, I've been Chris. I've been Kelsey. And this has been Pod Cemetery. Before we go, Kelsey, any last words? Stab 2? Who would want to do that? Sequels suck. Oh, please, please. By definition alone, sequels are inferior films. You'll see them in your nightmares. You'll see them in your dreams. He'll appear out of nowhere, but he ain't what he seems. You'll see him in your head on a TV screen. Hey, buddy, I'm wanting you to turn it on. He's a ghost, he's a god, he's a man, he's a guru You're one microscopic cog in his catastrophic plan Designed and directed by his red right hand But in this case, excuse me. And so we just we find out that Vince Vaughn, not Vince Vaughn.
Timothy Oliphant? Timothy Oliphant. <laughs> you want to go back? So they go back to the police house where they're... The police house? The police house. <laughs> the cop building. <laughs> the police station. <laughs> so anyway, it's at the police house. <laughs> it's at the police station. Meanwhile, anyway, what? Oh, I know. already know my defense. The movies made me did it. Made me, made me did it. Ugh. Yeah, well, that's what happens when people suck. Fuck you! 